Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creaseman. And I'm Ira Creaseman. And on this episode, we begin our conversation on the soundtrack of Final Fantasy VII. And I actually have to start with a huge caveat that's basically a gigantic apology for what's about to happen. <laughs> Excellent. It's a good way to start. Always good, right? What is going to follow is ridiculous, impossible, arguably borderline insulting. <laughs> because I, and, and I'm, I'm removing any culpability from my brother Ira here, yeah. I mm -hmm. have attempted to rank the top 40 pieces of music on the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. This was done for pragmatic reasons as much as anything else. These original sound scores are about to get so huge that we can't reasonably talk about a hundred pieces of music on a podcast. There had to be a way of, of paring it down a little bit and deciding what gets a little more conversation and what gets less. But I do feel a little bit like the textbook author at the beginning of Dead Poet Society, like trying right. to you know, objectively measure poetry or music, which is obviously absurd. And there should be no even hint of a suggestion that these are objectively the right way to rank music there, or that there even is any such a thing. Right. Well, one of the reasons I tend to object to my favorite thing is, or ranking things in a list is be, is because of this, right? I, I tend to be more interested in differences of kind than differences of degree. And I think you have set yourself a uh, damn near an impossible task but at the same time, I'm glad you did it because it gives us a framework about which to talk about these pieces of music when we can't, or, or when it would be uh, perhaps tiresome to try to talk just about every single track. Right. And the rubric is going to be just as messy as all of that because it really is just a combination of, I've been listening to this music for 23 years. And so what do I come back to over and over again? And what have I seen in the community? What do I as a musician know a little bit more about composition and some of these things? So I try to do some, you know, objectively ranking pieces of music that are obviously great, even if they're not my favorites, but it is mostly my preferences here. And that's something, you know, obviously that we'll, we'll talk about as we go through. Why do I lean more toward this one and, and that one? And that should create conversation. That's the point of it. So in that way, this is the one thing I, I want to say on my behalf. If you happen to find yourself at any point during this conversation feeling a, a legitimate sense of rage about where a piece <laughs> of music has been ranked, uh, typically far too low, right? Yeah, that's almost always going mm -hmm. to be the case. Um, just channel that into positive energy about Nobuo Uematsu being a genius, because that's really what this comes down to, right, is we're going to do a top 40 and there's good to great music that we're not going to talk about at all on this soundtrack that. So if there's something at 35 that you're like, what that's that piece of music is amazing, right? This guy's incredible. Let's just, let's just keep remembering that that is the end point. No matter how we get there is that all of this is worthy of conversation. And, and the conversation does not have to, uh, you know, your, your conversation of mine does not have to end here. That's what, for all that social media can be exhausting for any number of reasons. Um, right. the, the joy I find in it is when 
you know, legitimate, interesting, good faith conversation is had. And so anybody should feel free to at FF Weekly. <laughs> on Twitter, it's at FF Weekly Pod on the Patreon.com slash FF Weekly and also over at Patreon.com slash DC Productions. There you go. And before we get into the list, I do want to give us a couple of big themes to keep a lookout for. In my estimation, this, if I again had to rank soundtracks, which is a completely other podcast we'll do someday, I tend to rank this one third behind six and eight. That said, I think it's the deepest soundtrack or, or the one with the most amount of good music on it. And I also think that it does a unique job of having its own feel and tone that is so uniquely Final Fantasy VII that most of the music we're about to discuss and play here, you could not confuse it for being in something else. And I think that that's a, a great tribute to what he made here. And two of the ways in which I think we'll see that over and over again. So I'm, we're only going to play stuff from the original soundtrack here now, though I've been playing stuff from Remake and Distant Worlds and, and you know, obviously Black Mages. But I'll stick to the OST here because I think one of the things that's great about this soundtrack and adds uniqueness to it among really anything else is that it exists in this weird place. It's basically the best uh, MIDI sounds before we got to full orchestrations, right? By the time we get to the next game, we're hearing full orchestras. Not all the time, but full live orchestras in Final Fantasy VIII. And here in VII, we still have this, these kind of lo-fi instruments, these, but, but really good ones. And it creates a, a unique sound that you just don't hear in too many other places. And the other big element that I find really helps with the continuity of this soundtrack is something I've taken to calling the Final Fantasy VII Bells. I love it when a composer can do this in a movie or a show. I think of the trumpets in The Matrix. We've all heard trumpets making kind of oscillating sounds, but there's that one thing that is kind of bend, and if, if you know that soundtrack well, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, and if you don't, type in the matrix theme and as soon as it starts to play you'll be like oh yeah 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 that's a those trumpets sound different than trumpets and other things the bells in final fantasy 7 are final fantasy 7 bells and they often take the lead in some important pieces of music and i think it's a great recurring theme that isn't leitmotif right it's not a recurring melody it's it's a tone that uematsu keeps coming back to all right, let's get to the top 40, and oddly enough, we're going to begin with a piece that is not indicative of any of the things I just discussed or any <laughs> of the things that are coming after, because this is actually a, a great little piece called Debut that Uematsu wrote for that little section on the Gold Saucer when the team, when Cloud and whoever his date is getting involved in the story about the king and the dragon, and Uematsu really is just paying homage to his medieval stylings and almost even kind of parodying and, and poking fun at himself, which is what they were doing in the story with the game. So it's a cute little piece, but I do love the way he builds the sort of harmonies of the woodwinds, the way we'd heard him do in the first groupings of games, or this would sound right at home in Final Fantasy IX, stuff like that. 
Yeah, I don't have a, a real strong opinion on this piece. Uh, it do, it does the job, right? It gets the job done. Uh, like you said, it, it's kind of a nice homage to all these things that Final Fantasy had been before and was not doing right this moment. So I, I appreciate it for that. And also it's just light and fun. Yeah. On the other end of the energy spectrum, coming in at 39, the crazy motorcycle chase. Yeah, it, it really helps that this accompanies such a big badass moment from Cloud. God, especially in the remake, man. They really, <laughs> holy moly. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the chase down the highway and you're fighting that weird road mech thingy. Yeah, this is a, this is a cool piece. It's almost, I feel like it's a close cousin to something we talked about in on previous soundtracks that we termed hurry up music. Right. We'll get to another one of those in a minute, yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel like it's it's a good example of other pieces in that vein. Good, uh, it's an adrenaline rush, right? And it's it was different from a lot of the other stuff. You know, we had heard endgame electronic music from Uematsu and four and six a bit, but this was a kind of bumpy movie, just kind of electronic music embedded in the world that we were in. And it just added to the aesthetic of Seven a lot, I felt like. And just there for that one scene. I think it plays a couple of the times, but definitely obviously associated with that. All right, at 38, let's calm it back down again and do what I think fits in the category of Final Fantasy town music. And that's Farm Boy. It's so far removed from Midgar and everything Midgar is, which is part of the point, right? The first time you hear this at the uh, the Chocobo Farm Ranch place, which on the game world map isn't really that far from Midgar, really. Uh, it's before you even go across the, the swamp and the giant snake, because you got to have the Chocobo to get across, right? So yeah, it it feels a little bit like rural wherever, a little maybe a little bit of banjo, uh, maybe a little bit of sitting on the porch, uh, sipping your mint julep. Yeah, it's, it's got all that. Uh, I just love it. Definitely a, a nostalgia one, too, that when you hear it, you can close your eyes and picture the Chocobo Ranch exactly as it always was, right? You know, it puts you in a place in time. And, and I think the most important job is, like I was saying, is that contrast, right? It's juxtaposition. We were just doing, you know, heck, we just had the motorcycle ride. We were fighting mm -hmm. mechs, you know, not five minutes ago, and now we're taking a break. Yeah. Right. In at number 37, our first character theme, and one that's really grown on me over the years, and I didn't love it originally because I always felt it kind of sounded like elevator music. <laughs> but Yuffie's theme, or Descendants of Shinobi, <laughs> intermission just melted my heart completely and uh, that's probably a big reason why I love it more and more and I would say this fits into the same kind of genre as the me channel music which we've talked about a few times now in previous episodes there is something to be said for a chill melody that just because it feels easy breezy doesn't necessarily mean that it was to compose and doesn't mean that it's not an interesting piece of music. 
Yeah, and like I said, my initial reaction of, of it being sort of elevator music, but it's got such a satisfying conclusion. I, I really love the way, and it, and it has been adapted enough over the years. It's on the piano, official piano version, and, and like I said, its most recent iteration, it just... Uh, Nobu Uematsu writes good melodies in his sleep, I'm convinced. He doesn't, he has to be awake for it, but it feels like it. We also heard, not exactly what I was talking about, but some of the bells that using the melody there in The Descendants of Shinobi, and we'll hear it much more distinctly in number 36, The Forested Temple. Music that I tend to associate with the Temple of the Ancients and the the search for the original search for the black material. It's just great atmospheric music. It's a little bit odd and again puts you in that world of Final Fantasy VII where you hear just a little bit of that, you know exactly how it sounds, but those just sort of three chimes of the bells and the oscillating background music is all just so layered and, and it's just way more interesting than most background music is. In fact, you really shouldn't categorize any of this stuff as background music, including our number 35, Buried in the Snow. So, very similar to what we just talked about, atmospheric, chill, really sinks you in, but with those echoing kind of off-putting rhythms for the main line that starts you, and then the Final Fantasy VII bells. These really are the first time we're hearing them in the starring performance here. Just give you that ringing out, odd feeling that, that Final Fantasy VII carries with it. It's, it's difficult for me to even separate the sound of those bells from the feel of the entire game, the entire story, the, the life stream, and Cloud and Tifa and Aerith and Sephiroth, the elements of every single one of them is in each chime of those bells. Seriously, you're going to call the uh, the music for the snow chill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I dig it. Uh, like, like I said with some of the others, it, it gets the job done. I don't have any strong opinions on it. I do think that recurring motif of the bells, though, is uh, particularly interesting to note. Well, let's get into one you alluded to a minute ago at number 34. I've got, I think, what might be my favorite version of Hurry Up Music, expertly titled Hurry Faster. <laughs> so this is the music, I think, that plays when you're being chased, or maybe you're chasing somebody, or, or you're maybe you're trying to stop the train, or, or there's a bomb about to go off. And so, yeah, you know, like you said, hurry up music. I like it. This is one that, speaking of humming to yourself, this is one I hum to myself every once in a while. Uh, usually in low pressure situations, though I don't need to add to my anxiety levels. <laughs> it also reminds me a little bit of the piece of music from Final Fantasy VI that plays during similar situations, most notably when Cyan is rushing straight into battle sure. after yeah. his family has been killed. It's got a similar forward-moving string progression that just keeps you on the edge of your seat. Great stuff. Again, this is just music for, hey, an intense thing is happening. Uematsu still manages to make it a banger. 
okay, at 33, we've got the first one where I might make some people mad. And I'm just, I'm sorry at this point. It it gets stupid and it's not my fault. It's Uematsu's fault. Okay. <laughs> at number 33, I have the Turks theme. Oh, what? At number 30 what? 33. So in the bottom half of the bottom half? Yeah. So I may live to regret this. <laughs> sure. Well, I certainly hope that you do. <laughs> but it's a very simple piece. It doesn't do a ton. And while I love it every time it's played in game and every time I hear it, it brings a smile to my face and I have nothing but extreme positive associations with it. It's not a piece that I find I seek out to listen to because it loops after about a minute. It's unless you're really paying super close attention to the percussion, which is the most interesting thing with all the finger snaps and the little clicks going off and the wood block and stuff. I'm sorry, folks. It's, a lot of it's i love the piece i'm not talking it down don't put me in sure. the position uh-huh i think so, so yeah i mean th this is one of the reasons i don't rank things right so mm -hmm. uh it takes the pressure off of me and i can just give you a hard time i think that one of the reasons i was predisposed to go along with liking the turks is because the piece is cool right they're yeah. just cool they're cool characters they're interesting uh and the fact that they get to be complex and and well-rounded and not just corporate goons, but, I mean, they put themselves in this situation, right? They didn't have to take this career path, but they were probably started on it when they were pretty young. And so the every time they choose not to do what President Shinra <laughs> right, or President right. Rufus says to do, like, this, this piece is what, if, if their piece was much more elevator music-y, or maybe more corporate-y, or it sounded like it was created by committee, then I would not have been as disposed to want them to have a turn. Does that make sense? Yeah, the music does a lot of legwork in the nuance of that group of characters, 100%. It, it's a great piece of music for that. And the percussion really is incredible. It's it's more than the sum of its parts. It's ridiculous for me to rank it lower because ultimately, if you were to just look at the notes on a piece of paper, you're like, that's it? But that's not... <laughs> Luckily, Uematsu is a much better musician than I am and didn't care that that was it. It's perfect for what it needs to be. One of the most interesting things about music of this variety or, or media, the medium of a video game is that all the parts do have to come together. And right. so it, this piece could live on its own and be a cool little piece, but it's not. And and I think it is important to, you know, even if you examine it on its own for a while, you can't leave the conversation there right? because it's not on its own. It's wrapped up in these characters and their story. 
All right, another one that's not really officially a character theme, but I've always seen it as Vincent's theme. In fact, I think if you, you know, search for Final Fantasy VII Vincent's theme, this is what will come up. But at 32, the name of the piece is The Nightmare Begins. So obviously the harpsichord is the spirit instrument of every vampire that ever lived. Or didn't live, or un unlived. That's right. It yeah. is classy and creepy forever. Yeah, it, it's a cool piece. I, I do like it. Uh, yeah, I think it, it makes sense as Vincent's thing. And, and certainly the theme of, like, all the things that went wrong. Yeah. 15 years ago. Right. Right, and, and God, the, the thing between him and Lucrezia and... Hojo and Gast and and everything else that went down in that manor house. It's yeah. also sort of you remember Twin Peaks? Sure. Yeah. And it's, and so yeah. <laughs> it, it's sort of about like you know, just because a place looks nice and idyllic, Shinra Mansion in Nibelheim. Uh, you know, the, the one big nice pretty building in this dirt poor town, doesn't mean that the things going on in that in that space behind those walls is nice and pretty. It may sound pretty, the harpsichord sounds pretty, but obviously whenever you play a harpsichord, a vampire is not far off. It's not far away. I also like to, oh, we talked about how on the lute in Edward's theme in Final Fantasy IV, and it's just that arpeggiation in a kind of one note melody over the top of it, and this works in the same way, just in a much more melancholy fashion but i love the link of two sort of loner introspective more sensitive characters in vincent and edward through their musical themes both being these kind of one instrument arpeggiated melodies and and the melody here is just gorgeous and you could say that about just about every uematsu theme but it's worth <laughs> pointing out at number 31 the great North Cave. Yeah, this piece evokes tension and foreboding. And I, I would think that, I think that I would be tempted to uh, focus on the, is it even a melody? The, the melodic part anyway. But I think uh, we ought not to dismiss that deep, almost wind sound gurgle that starts right. us off yeah yeah i think that's important to you know we, we got the two extremes we got this deep almost not musical sound underneath supporting that that higher pitched tension that's a very popular thing to do in film nowadays in fact inception so popularized it that south park made fun of them with the whole thing about basically what is your soundtrack oh it's go <laughs> nice but yep. yeah like yeah and that's used to incredible effect here and again this is back in 1997 this is also a sister piece to Final Fantasy 6's Dark World or Ruined World this is this takes over as the piece of music that plays on the overworld map once Meteor is impending and so like you said the foreboding and the doom and the tension and it's just 
it sounds unlike anything else Uematsu had ever made up to that point. And it gets major points in my book for that, even though it's not even always the most pleasant thing to listen to. It sounds like the world is coming to an end. Because, well, that's because it is, and that's why he wrote it that way. That is the threat, yes. The sword of meteor, the meteor of Damocles. Man, and you just see the huge impending doom and the north cave and, yeah, love it. All right. Let's do what I will consider another character theme. I did that in Final Fantasy VI with the villains, and so I will here. And at number 30, the Shinra Corporation. talking about the Turks thing doing a lot of work to make me like them if this had been the Turks thing like this feels to me like a corporate version of the Imperial March yes right it, yes. it feels like sort of the the cyberpunk the noir punk the Blade Runner corporate version of the Imperial theme and if this you know if this was the the Turks theme I would be more likely to see them as these corporate stooges but obviously they're a little more independent so this yeah that this is a cool way to have your your corporate empire just be so obviously what it is yeah absolutely again it sounds like exactly what it is Uematsu uses a similar trick in a couple of games with Kuja's theme and a drum beat that sounds kind of similar to We Will Rock You by Queen. He's getting more into his natural influences of those kinds of progressive rock bands and we hear a little bit of that throughout this game. We'll hear a bunch more of it here in just a second. But this Shinra Corporation piece of music, it's leitmotifed a couple of times. It's just so it just so what it is, and again, like you don't, it doesn't sound like anything other than the bad guys in Final Fantasy VII. It's just what <laughs> it gets so perfect. I don't know how he does stuff like that. Make something that just uses every instrument. The little vocal samples that he uses that are so subtle, but in there to almost like a corporate boardroom of drones. It's so so smart. All right, in at number 29 is a personal favorite piece of just atmospheric music from earlier in the game called Chasing the Black Caped Man. myself but the bells the bells we've talked before about you know speculative fiction and fantasy and science fiction what do they really do for us and one of the things is take us to a place completely unlike the one we're from and pieces of music like this I think go a long way toward making that happen 
everything in this world echoes a little bit. Everything bounces off. Everything's a little bit mystical and magical, but still grounded when these clarinets and, and other instruments come in to accentuate the bells. But when you're wandering around and you don't know exactly what's going on and a piece of music like this is playing, it just sells everything that your characters are feeling and for me again these some of these early pieces and i'll get more into this later for sure go, they just make final fantasy 7 what it is i also feel like it goes to accentuate that we don't know what we don't know right like in, in pursuing the black caped man we we think we know that we're pursuing sephiroth but that's not really sephiroth sephiroth you know is in his in his Mako Amber Crystal Cave in the North Crater. Uh, he may well be controlling and or influencing all these clones that look like him. You know, maybe a little shape-shifting, maybe some mental tricks. But they're not... They're not him in, in the way we think they are. Right. Speaking of Sephiroth, let's do at number 28 what is maybe his unofficial theme before, you know the final boss theme, which we'll obviously get to. But this one, some people might consider it a bit low, uh, because again, I feel like from an instrumentation standpoint, it doesn't really go in a ton of places. It isn't all that challenging, but it is an absolutely unforgettable piece of music from this game that still sends chills up my spine every time I hear it. Maybe that's part of the reason why I don't listen to it all the time, but it's those chosen by the planet. This is that piece that played when you and I took the PlayStation upstairs and had it on the big TV when mom and dad were out for the evening. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know what was coming and suddenly through the big speakers comes this piece and Sephiroth is burning it down and the fire's behind him and he just turns and walks away because he's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, this is a this is a cool piece. It it really it fits the moment, it accentuates the moment. And yeah, it's sort of Sephiroth's secondary theme. Uh, it's cool, it's well done. It doesn't... I feel like it would also be easy to overstate who Sephiroth is in this moment. And like you said, we'll overstate it later. We will state it in harmony <laughs> during the final boss battle, right? And, and that piece is fantastic and cool too. But yeah, the understated nature of this piece, while dude, is literally burning it all down is cool. It's a different kind of juxtaposition, right? Yeah. It's it's more subtle. It's more menacing in that way. Like if we'd started off with Sephiroth, like if One Winged Angel had played during this scene, it'd be too much. There'd be nowhere to go, right? right. But this You gotta is a, earn it. A calmer, darker, you use the word more menacing kind of evil early on and 100%. And uh, it sells it well. It's, it's like I said, not my favorite piece to listen to on its own when I'm popping in Final Fantasy VII music and driving down the road, which I do all the time. But that's not always, you know, for what it is in the story, it, it serves its purpose. And more than that, it does much, much more than that. 
All right, let's get to number 27. This is a personal favorite of mine that I feel like is easy to overlook because there's so many epic pieces of music in this game. But one that comes near the end once things are really going down for everybody and here come the kaiju and the giant meteor and all that is a piece aptly titled Judgment Day. So the first thing I want to do is compare this to, I think it's called the Devil's Lab from Final Fantasy VI when you're in the Magitech research facility, because right. it's got the, some of those same industrial sounds. Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of a march, right? It, it's, it's sort of evocative of Shinra and Shinra's private army. Right. So, so it's sort of an industrial march in a way, maybe a corporate march in a way, but then, then it's got a little bit of a hero theme on top. And I think that is because like Barrett says, uh, when they try to blow up the meteor, I kind of, I kind of wanted it to work. Right. Because you know, even though they're the corporate empire, and they cause this mess, at least some of them are trying to stop meteor at the very least. If not fix everything they screwed up, they at least want to stop meteor. Right. And you know, there's this thing that happens in a lot of comic book stuff, movies, video games, if you can pull it off really well, and it's always right before the final battle or the, the final confrontation or whatever, right? And it's where our heroes feel like the odds are stacked completely against them. They have no chance of winning, but they're going anyway. There, there's something in the music that tells you both of those feelings. They feel like they're going to lose, but they're still telling themselves that they believe that they have to win and to capture that in a piece of music that's also you know telling the story of what's going on at the time has it been a while since we said genius <laughs> i feel like it's about time for another another one okay in at number 27 another personal favorite of mine that's just atmospheric music that this is one i will seek out and listen to every once in a while because i don't know another piece of music that sounds like it it's the only thing that that scratches this particular itch for me so uh, i've got it higher than maybe other people would but that's the sandy badlands
comparing this to two previous pieces, it reminds me a little bit of uh, this sort of atmospheric moon music from Final Fantasy IV. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit of Shadow's theme from Final Fantasy VI. And mm. it's so, sort of that weird, quirky... Yeah, it's, it's the whistle for Shadow, and it's the quirky uh, atmospheric nature uh, for, for the moon. Uh, also, that rattle... Is that, is that meant to evoke a rattlesnake? Yeah, right. It's got this very Western desert feel to it. It also, I'll pull another piece of music that we talked about, and that was the end of the world. World is dead music from Chrono Trigger. And right. You pointed out how it sort of sounds like some of the elements in that piece were just the elements of the world acting upon stuff that was there. And that's what that rattle kind of is. And there's even kind of a thudding, echoing percussion piece that just sounds like someone just banged on a piece of tin out there somewhere so it just could not sound more like a rusty diesel punk desert okay it's time to make people mad again oh good here the next two pieces honestly if somebody said they were their number one i would say okay that makes perfect sense if that's your favorite piece of music from final fantasy 7 no argument here. I put them further back, almost as like a strategic thing. I'm not even gonna lie, like to to space up. There's a lot of battle music to to give you a little hint for next episode. That's very high on the list, and I I didn't want the top fifteen to all be battle music. And and and, and then again, I did use the rubric of. What do I find myself listening to when I revisit this soundtrack more and more? So while I can't deny the genius, and, and I'll just say both of them right now. We'll, we'll give them time to play. We'll do the next two because they both fit into this category because it's endgame battle music. At 25, I have Genova Absolute. And at 24, I have Birth of a God. <laughs> Genova Absolute has this phenomenal build and this riff that, for me, a piece of music that repeats one line that's that chaotic and dramatic over and over again would usually get irritating by the fifth or sixth repetition of it. And I've actually heard other versions of this piece that do that for me, because if you don't have all of the layers and you're just repeating that riff over and over and over again, it gets tiresome. But Uematsu has layered things in here, and by the time he finally starts bringing in big, heroic trumpet music, the whole thing is just... It's epic. It's amazing. Like I said, if, if someone told me, actually, I prefer Genova Absolute to One Winged Angel, I would maybe debate them some, but it's personal preference, and if this is... It's an incredible piece of music.
So I like both these pieces, and if I were so inclined to do a, a top 40, they would probably be on it. But I'll, I'll say with this, with these two, um, like I did for some of the earlier ones, yeah, they're good, they do, they do their job, but they don't really stand out much to me. They kind of feel like Final Fantasy VII battle music pieces, and, and they're good for that, they do a good job, but um, I, like I said, they don't stand out much for me. I'm not sure I've got much else to say on them other than they do the job, and that I would probably rank them lower that, if I were so inclined. That, uh, that makes me feel a lot better, actually, about where I've ranked them. And I do think that they, you know, have the unfortunate task of coming right before one that's obviously going to be ranked very high. Sure. But, you know, they're, they're great pieces of music. I do love, in this one, in Birth of a God, the way Uematsu lets out a little bit more of, again, that, you know, ELM rush. You know, he, he was one of those, uh, you know, the, tapping into that prog rock version of himself with the organ and but but even then like he's nowhere near dark messenger from final fantasy 9 where he takes those prog rock roots and just explode like that's one of my favorite pieces of of his ever and so again even if i'm comparing it to other stuff he's done not in this game necessarily but in his career that's working in that same vein yeah but still genova absolute birth of the god very good let us now completely change from the attitude and tenseness of those ones and go to another piece that I, again I think you know Final Fantasy 7 moved us away from the much more traditional every town has its own theme or every town has the town theme but I've always considered the primary just town music isn't it nice to be in town of Final Fantasy 7 ahead on our way which yes is the same as the title for the main piece from Final Fantasy V. Yeah. I like how chill this piece is. It really does help to, to sell. We're in town, and we've compared Uematsu's town music to the to the Hobbit's theme, or, or the Hobbit town theme uh, from the Lord of the Rings movies many times before, and I think it's still an apt comparison. Yeah, it's got that gentle, warm, inviting thing. You know, when I hear this piece, it's definitely one that gets me immediately emotional and nostalgic for Seven thinking about people either walking around towns or sitting in rooms. There's a, there's a lot of that in this game, talking about their past and their feelings. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, I just, it's almost like a theme for all of our characters. You know, each of them has their own theme. But I've always felt that ahead on our way, and I love that they reused that phrase. It just feels like home. It feels like where Final Fantasy VII characters call home. All right, at 22 is another piece that originally I used to skip, was never one of my favorites, not something that I went to Nobuo Uematsu to hear. And I hate to put it exactly this way, but I also want to be as honest. Uh, I got to be honest. And it's just as my musical taste matured, kind of like, yes, uh, you know, drinking beer or wine or something, as your tastes mature a little bit more. And I learned about people like John Philip Sousa, and I go back and I listen to the Rufus Welcome Ceremony, 
I am blown away that Nobu Uematsu is the same person who composed all the other music we've discussed here today. When I was a freshman in high school in marching band, we had our show music, which was the music we played during the, the field show when we make the shapes and stuff out on the football field. Uh, but we also had uh, a parade piece that we played when we marched in whatever parades were downtown. And the parade piece my freshman year was Sousa's Semper Fi or Semper Fidelis, which is a cool march. And, and this, is, this is a cool march. The fact that it is so obviously a propaganda piece for now President Rufus Shinra is so cool from a storytelling perspective, right? Like, here's this. Yeah, you know what? It's great to be a Shinra grunt, you know? And it's great to march down the street. And it's great to have the TV guy threaten your life, send that guy a bomb or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is just, man, isn't it so cool to be part of Shinra? And, and look at all the progress in technology and yeah, and hey, you know what? The king is dead. Long live the king, right? Yeah. We, we are it, just marching to the beat of his drum, and man, is it great. It's so full of bombast and bluster and pomp and circumstance, but there's also these dark undertones where Uematsu is like sliding in there suddenly, like, also, this is horrible, isn't it? But it's so full of energy. I love the piano version of it as well, but, and, and I'll repeat this for another piece of music we'll talk about next episode. I love to sometimes think about the process and Uematsu, who is made for the first three games, primarily just medieval Renaissance sounding music. And then for the fourth game, similar styles, but a little more Celtic influence with it. In the fifth game, more medieval Renaissance style music. We talked about some of the end game gets a little weirder. Then six, he gets to stretch his legs a little bit more and, and do some of the steampunk stuff and stuff that's a little more modern. Turn of the century style jangly piano pieces that we talked about. But to just, I don't know who walks up to him and says, hey, can you do like a John Philip Sousa piece? I know it's not really your thing. This kind of 1920s, 30s American bandstand, huge big band music can you do that and he just goes yeah sure and if if you played this in full instrumentation and you told somebody that this was written in the 20s by john philip Sousa, they would believe you sure this could it, easily be our parade piece for high school marching band right and no one would have thought oh this sounds like some weird video gamey music no one everyone would have thought oh yeah this sounds exactly like one of those things and he created it brand new in 1997 a piece that sounds like it's always existed. And that in music is an incredible trick to write something that's completely new, but it sounds like it's been there for a hundred years. Nice. I like that. And our last one for this episode, again, is going to have to be a two-parter. Speaking of pieces of music that don't sound like anything else he had ever composed before, another character theme, and it is easily the best thing about this character, because as we've talked about before, Kate Sith has a lot of issues. 
but the piece of music that accompanies him is not one of them. Yep, that's a good one. I mean, who would have thought to pair an Irish cat fairy with this? Uh, what even genre is this? Is it jazzy? Is it yeah. is it bop? Is it it's, yeah? It's swinging to be sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is a cool piece, man. It's super cool and weird, and the way that the main melody doesn't stick to any one instrument because. Who cares? Were rules here? There are no... <laughs> absolutely no rules when he made this piece of music. The snapping of the fingers, which also is kind of uh, mirrored we talked about with the Turks. So I guess, you know, the people from Shinra have that going on. Sure. But it just... I don't even know what it is. I don't, like you said, what genre is it? It's more jazz than anything else, but it's... It's just Kate Sith's theme. There, it's one of the best examples of music that doesn't really sound like anything else. Or I, I don't know where else you would put it. I don't know where else this piece of music would... In a casino is where it feels most kind of natural, but it's almost too cool and interesting to be just background, you know, ding a ling a ling casino music. And so, I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> it's just bumpy and cool and weird and a glimpse inside the mind of a genius who can apparently just write stuff this good for a character that most people have almost no you know, connection to or whatever, but still when that music comes on, you're just like, yep, that's good. It, it would absolutely fit a totally unperturbed trickster character, right? Like. I- I tend to think of... Remember the Animaniacs? Sure. Like, nothing ever bothered those guys. Right. Like, whatever else was going on, like, the you know, Mozart is shouting at them, or right. or they're being chased by the guards. Like, they'll run. They'll, they'll engage in antics, but they're not bothered by it. Yeah. And I kind of feel like this is the theme of a character who, whatever other antics are going on, is not bothered by it. Uh, I'm not sure that's who... Kate Sith is, but I do think this is a cool piece of music. Yeah, it it's definitely a unique one, and just another example that Uematsu can do literally anything he wants, and it's very difficult for him to do wrong and mess up. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who has reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned by following us on Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or going to our Patreon at patreon.com FFWeekly and letting us hear all about it. Also, for more Final Fantasy content, other video game talk, DC, Marvel, Star Wars, a weekly pro wrestling podcast, and a whole bunch of sports talk, you can head over to my personal Patreon at patreon.com slash 
DC Productions. Join us next time when we count down the definitely definitive and not at all subjective top 20 pieces on the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. <laughs>